0: COFFEE-BREAK COLLECTION 16 CRIME This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. AFTER THE CRIME By Constant Guerreau PART Two. At the end of a few hours his hunger, sharpened by the exciting air of the wood, ended by overcoming all his terror, And feeling that his reason was beginning to reel in his brain he decided to go into the village in search of bread he shook off the blades of grass which hung to his clothes retied his neckerchief passed his fingers through his tangled hair then resolutely went out into the plain five minutes afterwards he entered the village walking slowly his head bent down like a man overcome by fatigue but casting a furtive and suspicious glance right and left, and ready to take flight at the first appearance of danger. Not far from the church—that is to say, in the center of the place—he perceived a tavern, the patriarchal aspect of which seemed to him to be reassuring. After convincing himself that neither cries nor disputes were coming from it, evidence that it was almost empty, he made up his mind to enter. "'What can I give you, my good man?' asked the landlord, a solidly built peasant with broad shoulders and a frank and open countenance. "'Bread and wine,' replied the murderer, going and seating himself at a table near a window opening on to a garden. He was speedily served. "'Here you are,' said the landlord, "'bread, wine, and cheese.' "'I only ask for bread and wine,' said the murderer abruptly, hiding his face in his hands. "'Oh, the cheese is of no consequence to me.' nor the bread either for no offense to you you don't look too well off my poor man and it seems to me that you need to get up your strength so eat and drink without worrying yourself about the rest thanks thanks at that moment the church bells began to ring loudly what is that asked the murderer why are the bells ringing in that way why because the mass is over the mass what is to-day then sunday you are not a christian then oh you'll have companions presently the murderer felt himself becoming faint he was tempted to rush out of the house but a moment's reflection convinced him that such a course would ensure his certain destruction and that prudence itself called on him to remain where he was he had hardly come to this decision when drinkers flocked into the tavern which presently became full The murderer began to eat and drink, taking care to keep his face turned towards the window so as to hide his features as much as possible. A quarter of an hour passed, an age of torment and anxiety for the fugitive whom the most insignificant word caused to turn pale and to shudder. At length he was going to rise and leave the tavern when one of the drinkers cried, "'Hullo! Here comes Daddy Foucho, our brigadier of gendarmerie!' The murderer started frightfully and his right hand flew to his head. All his blood had rushed to his heart and from his heart to his brain as if he had been stricken with apoplexy. He came to himself little by little, but without recovering his powers. From the shock he had sustained there remained a weakness and nervous tremor which rendered him wholly incapable of effort. On seeing the brigadier enter he leaned his head upon the table and pretended to fall asleep. THE WELCOME GIVEN TO THE GENDARME ATTESTED THE ESTEEM IN WHICH HE WAS HELD IN THE COUNTRY. EVERYONE WAS EAGER TO OFFER HIM A PLACE AT HIS TABLE. "'THANKS, FRIENDS,' REPLIED DADDY Falcho. "'A GLASS IS NOT TO BE REFUSED, BUT AS TO SITTING DOWN AND TAKING IT EASY WITH YOU, THE SERVICE FORBIDS.' "'THE SERVICE. THAT'S A GOOD ONE. TODAY IS SUNDAY, AND THIEVES REQUIRE A DAY OF REST AS WELL AS OTHER FOLKS.' "'THIEVES, POSSIBLY. BUT IT'S DIFFERENT WITH ASSASSINS.' "'Assassins! What do you mean by that, Daddy Faucho? Haven't you heard about the affair at Saint-Didier?' "'No. Tell us about it.' "'The more willingly, because I came in here to give you all a description of the scoundrel we are hunting.' The heart of the murderer throbbed heavily enough to burst his chest. "'He's a stonemason named Pierre Picard,' the brigadier continued. "'And who has he murdered? His wife. The beggar.' What had she done to him? Cried without complaining when he beat her. Only sometimes she went to the tavern to ask him to give her some money to buy food for her little ones, whom she could not bear to see dying of starvation. That was the whole of her crime, poor creature. It was for that he killed her on Thursday night last. She was only five-and-twenty he ought to have kissed the ground she walked on the wretch she spent her life in working and caring for him and the children and she had never received any other reward save blows and misery the infernal villain cried a young man striking his fist violently on the table before him i'd think it a pleasure to go and see his head chopped off that's why you all ought to know his description so as to be able to arrest him if you come upon him for we know that he is skulking somewhere hereabouts there was a deep silence. The murderer, he too, listened, mastering by a superhuman effort the fever raging in his blood and bewildering his brain. "'This is the description of Pierre Picard,' said the brigadier, unfolding a paper. Middle height, short neck, broad shoulders, high cheekbones, large nose, black eyes, sandy beard, thin lips, a brown mole on the forehead. Folding up the paper, he added, Now you'll be sure to recognize him if you meet him. With such a description it would be impossible to mistake him. Then as the song says, Good night, my friends, I leave you to go and hunt my game." The murderer ceased to breathe. While listening to the brigadier's departure he calculated that a few hours only separated him from the frontier, and already he saw himself in safety. He was about raising his head when the heavy boots of the gendarme, taking a new direction resounded suddenly in his ears. The gendarme stopped, two paces from the table at which he was seated, and the murderer felt his look turned upon him. His blood seemed to freeze in his veins. A cold perspiration burst from all his pores, and his heart appeared to him to cease beating. "'By the way,' cried the brigadier, "'here's a party who is sleeping pretty soundly.' and he struck him on the shoulder. Hello, my friend. Hold your head up a little. I want to see your fizz.' Pierre Picard raised his head sharply. The expression of his face was frightful. His livid features were horribly contracted, his bloodshot eyes darted flames, and a nervous trembling agitated his thin and close-pressed lips. "'It's he!' cried ten voices at once. The brigadier put out his hand to seize him by the collar, but before he could touch him the murderer struck him two heavy blows with his fist in the eyes and blinded him then springing through the window into the garden he disappeared recovered from the surprise which had at first paralyzed them twenty young men dashed off in pursuit of him at a bound he cleared the garden hedge gained the fields and in less than ten minutes was half a league away from the village after making sure that the unevenness of the ground prevented him from being seen he paused for a moment to take breath for he was quite exhausted, and would have sunk down senseless if this furious flight had continued twenty seconds longer. But he had hardly seated himself before confused cries struck upon his ears. He rose and listened. It was his pursuers. What was he to do? Exhausted, breathless, he could run no further, and they were there on his heels. He cast a desperate glance around him. Everywhere he saw the level plain, without a rock without a hollow, without a clump of trees in which he could hide himself. Suddenly his eyes fell upon a shining pool of standing water, on the margin of which there was a growth of tall reeds, and he gasped, "'Let's try it.' He dragged himself to the pool, in which he hid himself up to the neck, drawing over his head the reeds and water-plants then remained as motionless as if he had taken root in the mud. The water had become still and smooth as a mirror when the twenty peasants arrived at the edge of the pool preceded by the brigadier, who, thanks to the care of the landlord of the tavern, had speedily recovered from the stunning effects of the blows he had received. "'Now,' cried Daddy Falchot, from the back of his horse, and examining the country in all directions, where in the name of wonder can that scoundrel have got to? "'It's odd,' said a young peasant. five minutes ago I saw him plainly, and now not a glimpse of him.' and yet the ground's flat and green for three leagues round without so much as a mole's hole in which he could hide his nose. "'He can't be far off,' said the brigadier. "'Let us divide and spread over the plain searching every bit of it, and coming back here last.' Pierre Picard heard the party disperse, uttering threats against him. Still standing motionless in the pool he trembled in every limb and dared not change his position for fear of betraying his presence by agitating the water about him or by deranging the reeds and water-plants with which he had covered his head he passed an hour in this position studying the sound of the steps crossing each other on the plain of which his ears eagerly strained caused the least perceptible echoes at the end of that time the whole of the party were again collected about the pool thunder and lightning cried the brigadier furiously that brigand has escaped us but how the plague could he have done it he must be a sorcerer said a peasant Sorcerer or not, I'll not give him up, replied Daddy Faucho. I'll just give Sapaju time to swallow a mouthful of water at this pool, and we'll both slip off to the edge of the frontier towards which the beggar is sure to make his way. And turning his horse towards the pool, he reined him up just at the spot where the fugitive was hidden amid the tuft of reeds. The animal stretched forward his neck, sniffed the air strongly then quickly drew back his head and refused to advance. Pierre Picard felt the beast's warm breath upon his cheek. The brigadier gently flipped Sapajou's ears to force him to enter the pool, but the animal backed a couple of paces, and his master was unable, either by blows or partings, to induce him to obey. "'Oh, we are in our tantrums,' cried the brigadier, furious at a resistance to which he was wholly unused. "'We'll see which of us is going to give in to the other.' and he was preparing to flog poor Sapaju severely when, as if understanding the impending danger, the animal wheeled suddenly to the left and entered the pool some paces further off. "'That's all the better for you,' said the brigadier. Then, while his horse was drinking, he said to the peasants, "'Now, my good fellows, you can go back to the village. I and Sapaju will see to the rest.' The peasants moved off, wishing him good luck. Then the horse, having sufficiently satisfied his thirst, left the water and set off across the field stimulated by the voice of his master the murderer was left alone but though he was benumbed with cold he allowed more than a quarter of an hour to pass before venturing to quit his retreat at length he came from the pool dripping with water his head and shoulders covered with water-grass and plants which clung to his skin and clothes his body shivering his face cadaverous He cast a long glance over the deserted plain and tried to speak, but his teeth clattered together so violently that it was some moments before he could articulate a word. "'Saved!' he gasped at length. Then he continued with profound dejection. "'Yes. Saved. For the hour. But the brigadier waits for me on the frontier. The gendarmerie are warned, the whole population are on foot, and the hunt is going to begin again against the common enemy.' against the mad dog the struggle forever the struggle without cessation without pity all men against me and god as well it is too much it is beyond my strength while speaking he mechanically freed himself from the slimy weeds with which he was covered he gazed upon the solitude by which he was surrounded and it appeared to terrify him HE SEEMED TO FEEL IN HIS HEART THE SAME COLD, SULLEN, desolate SOLITUDE. THEN HE TOOK HIS HEAD BETWEEN HIS HANDS AND FOR FIVE MINUTES REMAINED PLUNGED IN HIS REFLECTIONS. SO BE IT, HE SAID AT LENGTH IN A RESOLUTE TONE. AND HE SET OFF IN THE DIRECTION OF THE VILLAGE FROM WHICH HE HAD FLED. AN HOUR AFTERWARDS HE ENTERED THE TAVERN WHERE THE brigadier HAD BEEN SO NEAR CAPTURING HIM. ALL THE PEASANTS WHO HAD PURSUED HIM WERE THERE. THE ASSASSIN, THEY CRIED IN bewilderment. YES, REPLIED THE MURDERER CALMLY. IT IS, PIERRE PICARD, THE ASSASSIN, WHO HAS COME TO GIVE HIMSELF UP. GO AND FIND THE gendarmes." HE SEATED HIMSELF IN THE MIDDLE OF THE TAVERN, CALM AND UNMOVED. TWO gendarmes SPEEDILY ARRIVED. PIERRE PICARD RECOGNIZED THEM AS THOSE WHO, THE EVENING BEFORE, HAD PASSED CLOSE BY THE ELM IN WHICH HE HAD TAKEN REFUGE. HE HELD OUT HIS HANDS TO THEM SILENTLY they placed handcuffs upon his wrists and led him to a room at the mairie which was to serve provisionally as his dungeon before he was transferred to the neighboring city when he found himself alone shut up securely in this prison the door of which was guarded by two gendarmes the murderer sank upon his camp bed and cried with a sort of fierce enjoyment at last i can rest end of after the crime part 2 Recording by Philip Gould.